Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hello and welcome to The Promised Land, a show about bottom of the Premier League, Manchester United, and part of the 90 Min Podcast Network. I'm Scott Saunders, joined as ever by Rob Blanchett, who today is sporting a throwback to the 1990s when days were better uh, than this for Man United. You're wearing, I believe, the shirt that Eric Cantona performed a kung fu kick in at Selhurst Park in the mid-90s. The original... So this isn't a replica. This is the real thing from back then, which I bought when I was a kid. So, yeah, I'm wearing this. Why? For two reasons. Black again, because black is the soul, the colour of Manchester United at the moment. And also because it's Cantona. And I think Man United do need a little bit of a kung fu kick to get them going this season, because what we're seeing is wholly unacceptable. Of course, if you're listening on an audio platform, you cannot see what Rob is wearing. Uh, however, you can find uh, what Rob is wearing visually uh, if you'd like to join us on our YouTube channel. So get uh, get over to YouTube, The Promised Land, the Manchester United podcast. Give that search and subscribe to our show. And you can do that on audio platforms as well, wherever you get your podcasts on Apple, Google, Spotify and the likes. And we are available twice a week on Tuesdays and Fridays. Uh, like I say, head over to YouTube, hit the like button on this video, subscribe and join the community as well. Uh, and you can follow us on Twitter, too, for all of our ramblings and anger and uh, humour, I guess, about the situation that United find themselves in at the moment. At underscore Scott Saunders, at underscore Rob underscore B, and at Promise and MU for the show as well. Oh, you know, Rob, United play Liverpool next Monday, and it's a relegation six-pointer after three games of the season. And United for all of the awfulness in the first two games, can actually go above Liverpool in the Premier League table with a win at Old Trafford. Uh, what a time to be alive. Well, like I always say every season, don't look at the table until like six, seven, eight, nine games in. But that narrative is now going to play out. That if Man United beat Liverpool somehow at Old Trafford, Liverpool team that's also kind of spluttering and not really doing what you expect them to do, then United go ahead of them. It's like weird, isn't it? So as bad as things feel after these first two games, there does need to be some perspective that it is just two games. If we're saying that in 10 games, Scott, like, you know, Eric, 10 games, as we were saying last week and joking about, then we might well be in trouble. But at the moment, it's kind of take your medicine time, isn't it? How long have we been in that time? It was all last season, you know? It's like oh. a 10-year purgatory. That's what it feels like. I think the day Fergie stepped out and said, back your manager, and again, I was there, stood in front of him when he said that, and I was like, yes, back David Moyes, we'll do this with it. And here we are 10 years on in that same purgatory, going round and round in circles, praying for some kind of miracle. Yeah, uh, I was there at the Brentford game on Saturday evening in the 34-degree heat uh, maybe United just didn't fancy running around that much because it was quite hot. 
But they were made to run around the following day after Eric Ten Hag cancelled training and made them run near 14 kilometres, according to reports. Uh, in that heat, he's got a little bit of criticism, a little bit of stick for that. But, you know, got to teach these players a lesson somehow, I guess. Uh, we'll talk about the Brentford game a little bit in the opening periods of the show. We'll analyse Terran Hag's first two games, uh, if we've seen anything to be encouraged by. We'll talk about David De Gea fronting up and his mistakes with the first two goals in that game. And then we'll switch to some transfer chat. Mateus Cunha of Atletico Madrid bought for 22 million um, a year ago is now worth 40 million, apparently, to Man United. And uh, there's interest there in from United's side. He's a forward who can play across the forward line. Good technically, but, you know, Goal record leaves a little bit to be desired. Uh, we'll talk Cristiano Ronaldo. We'll talk Moises Caicedo, as Rob would like to address uh, the news that there is interest or reported interest uh, in him. Just a few months after United turned their noses up at him for four million because the, diff- the deal was too difficult to pull off. And I can imagine now a deal 50 million is easier to pull off, apparently. Uh, we'll talk Terrell Malasia as well. I'm sorry, I pronounced that name wrong. Terrell Malasia. Uh, his comments on why he's not getting any game time. We'll just talk about how we move forward and how mm. heads have to roll in this first team by the looks of it. I know Rob has some thoughts on that, uh, but let's uh, jump back to the start of the running order. Your your summary on the Brentford game, Rob, how did it make you feel? Numb. Numbness. Because what's the point in being angry at stuff that we've seen over and over again with the same players? So, you know, we said, didn't we, through preseason, give these players a chance. They're better than they, than they look. They'll have a better, they'll have a new coach. But the problem is, Scott, that this is not really about skill. This isn't really about talent, any of this. This is about application. And this is about heart and desire. And they're all things... I'll, I'll add bravery to that. They're all things that this squad doesn't have and we knew they didn't have it. So I think this is now just the wake-up call that, that if Ten Hag didn't need it, he's got it. He's seeing what he wants to see. And when I say what he wants to see, he wants to know who's with him and who's against him. And we could have told him, like, <laughs> over our experience of the last year or two, this is a, a set of players who were Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's players primarily, and they got him the sack, and they were his boys. And they got Ralph Ranić out the door, didn't they? And now they've got a new manager, and I'm not saying they're trying to get rid of Ten Hag, but I think it's showing the divide that eventually you've got to get rid of a ton of these players. And I would have a wholesale fire sale now, Scott. I really would. I think there's so many of them from the highest earners into the middle of the squad. Rotten, horrible people that don't like each other, that don't want to turn up for work. If you don't turn up for work, Scott, you lose your job. Well, United did bring in Ralph Ranick in November last year for him to take a look at the lay of the land. And he mm. said after Liverpool 4, Man United nil in April. Uh, we've been through some 4 nils and 5 nils already. Uh, I think United have now lost seven away games in a row in the Premier League uh, and conceded four goals in th- three of those games, I think. I think we've lost, uh, we've conceded four goals in eight games in the last two years. And that's never happened over that period in Manchester United's history. It's crazy stuff. It really is. But, you know, United have employed Ralph Ranić 
for a few months, discarded his advice completely. And now Eric Ten Hag has had to find that out himself by losing his first two Premier League games. And the club have just seemingly said, oh, Ralph, no, you're wrong. Uh, You know, you can get out, you know, go do your Austria job. Uh, We're going to crack on here. We know these players better than you do, even though you're an experienced sporting director who has formed clubs from the very bottom. And now Ten Hag is, this is new news to Eric Ten Hag, apparently. Why, why, Why is it taking this long? to be recognised. I think it shows that there is absolutely no valid communication at the highest levels of Manchester United. So just looking at hierarchy, and we kind of touched on it there, you've got Joel at the very top with his brother and the Glazer families, about 12 of them on the board. And then there's that gap between him and Richard Arnold, and then you've got Murto and Darren Fletcher, and you've got Ten Hag. That's the structure of Manchester United. I don't think any of those things move together, ever. They're not one thing. They're like 25 things. So what will happen, Scott? Like, here we are. Already people are blaming Ten Hag because transfer's not getting over the line. They're looking at Murto. So I think when you kind of you assess all of these things, there's no quick fix because you have to change your culture, don't you? But you've also, to change your culture, you've got to change your team. You've got to change your players. You've got to build a new stadium. You've got all sorts to do at Manchester United. And yet we're just talking about one result at Brentford and there may be one result before that. Now you've got Liverpool upcoming. So uh, week to week to week as fans, fans want to see better performances. That's Ten Hag's first job. And I think we need to kind of chop all this down and get to the real basics of what the problems are. But the truth is at the very, very top, it's just completely rotten. So uh, let's move on to... I guess the lack of stylistic outlook from the first two performances is what I've got in my notes. Have you seen anything uh, not to be encouraged by? Because there is nothing to be encouraged by from these first two games. But what have you noticed? Because Eric Ten Hag, I was there for his post-match press conference and he called the players naive. Because obviously we know you can't legislate for a mistake that David De Gea made to let it roll underneath him. Uh, Obviously they crumbled from there for the first goal and it was 4-0 within... 35 minutes or whatever it was. Uh, but De Gea's mistake for the second goal, playing Ericsson into a, a world of space who was playing in six against a team like Brentford who know his every move, having trained with him for the last six months. You know, have you seen anything that Ten Hag's managed to implement on this group of players at the moment? And he called the players naive. He said, uh, if the ball isn't on, if the short ball isn't on, and he was talking, I think he was talking about David De Gea's pass to Ericsson in this moment. If the ball isn't on short, I'm not telling them not to go long. I'm saying, go long. If it's not on, recognize the situation and avoid it. You know, De Gea's first touch wasn't great. He probably robbed himself of a couple of seconds uh, to pass to Harry Maguire, who could have brought the ball out for that goal. Uh, there's tons of things wrong, but Ten Hag has called the players naive. Uh, De Gea's fronted up. We'll get into that in a second. But who's most naive here? Is are you allowing any criticism for Ten Hag for not recognizing uh, that perhaps things aren't as easy as as he was expecting, or is this, is this firmly on the players? I think it's firmly on the players, but I think maybe the person who's naive in this moment is probably Eric Ten Hag. So Eric Ten Hag's coming into a completely new situation that he's never experienced before, and we said it would be hard before this. But coming to the Premier League, where, like, like, let's be honest, 
Brentford are an average football team. Average, bang average. They're not great at anything. They're average. But what will they do? They'll work you. They'll push you to make mistakes. You know, they'll be honest as the day is long. So that's kind of what happened in the game. But you're saying there, what have we seen? What's different? Well, I, I think there's one real stylistic principle that's really interesting. <clears throat> Excuse me. Is that in pre-season, when you didn't have your godhead in the team at the top of the pitch, your number seven, and you were doing all of these things against lesser opposition, there was an identity being built in pre-season. You could see it. Players were pressing. Players were communicating. Players were passing the ball. Even the players that you think are not very good at those things were trying to do it. And in these two games, Scott, since the season started proper, gone. Disappeared. Absolutely vanished. You know, so that's not the manager. So that's why I don't blame him overall. I blame the players. But I think it points towards the real dysfunction of this football club being so solely about Cristiano Ronaldo and everything about trying to get the ball on the end of his foot to score. Because you cannot win football matches like that. You couldn't win football matches last year like that. And he scored 18 goals. And you can't win football matches this year. So I hold all of those guys responsible, yeah? I hold Bruno Fernandes responsible. I hold David De Gea responsible. I hold Harry Maguire responsible. These are not naive footballers. I blame Marcus Rashford. All of these guys showed in pre-season that they can do better than they have in these two games. You can have bad games, Scott, but you can't not run. Brentford outran Man United significantly by 13% in that game. And if you don't run against an opponent, they will beat you. They don't have to be good to win. So that's what Brentford did. They won 4-0. And we know their manager said straight after the game, he went, it wasn't really a 4-0 game, but that's how it happened. But it was because of Man United, wasn't it? It was a self-imposed defeat because you just didn't do the basics. Yeah, I think every goal is something that I've seen United culpable for for a long time. I know David De Gea was one of the best United players last season, but he's Groundhog some, Day. Groundhog he's Day. Absolute clangers in over the last couple of years. Yeah, he's not getting away from that. The second goal, I mean, that's a relatively new problem, I guess, playing out from the back. But you know, it's, it's the naivety that. It obviously exists within this squad. The third goal, United have an awful record from crosses and defending set pieces as it is. The fourth goal, I compared that uh, in a tweet to that Ronaldo goal at the Emirates in the Champions League semi-final in 2009. It looked exactly the same because it was from the same side. It was just like a you know a mm. Ruby or equivalent pass across the across the goal. Uh, very satisfying on the eye for any real football fan, to be honest. if that, That's exactly my kind of football. But the fact that United are now getting picked off like that, whereas they were doing it to other teams in the past, is just soul-destroying, really. But they've been counter-attacked on quite often as well. There's just no learning from this, this group of players at all. And David De Gea has earned some credit for fronting up and requesting to come and speak about, you know, everything that they saw on the pitch uh senior player who should be doing that but at the same like what do you make of that rob because i'm seeing him get praised for it but to me i've seen it before yeah i actually think overall with the players and with david de Gea, um it was quite in inconspicuous that like none of them tweeted out after the game we're really sorry let's go again you know because that's kind of what they do isn't it it's just that's the culture that they they create uh, I think David De Gea, I do give him credit for standing in front of a camera because he doesn't have to. You know, when, when some Somebody of those players, does, 
when some of those players wouldn't even go over and clap the away fans, yeah, I can say, well, at least David De Gea stood in front of the camera. But do you know what, Scott? I'd rather he played well in goal. That's what I prefer. I don't need players to give lip service to fans. I need you to play well. That's what it's about. So I think with David De Gea, his mistakes and with goalkeeper errors are always endemic, aren't they, of confidence in one thing or another. And, and, and really, the, the two errors that he made are, are like mirrors, images of Manchester United's problems as a football club, aren't they? You know, really are. They're kind of, there's some negligence in there. There's a lack of confidence. Um, and there's a lack of thought. And I think when you look at the, the goal, you know, De Gea, the handling error for the first goal comes from Cristiano Ronaldo losing the ball in the middle of the park and then falling over and saying, ref, 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 ref. Two seconds later, two passes, goal. You look at the second one and they're all still blank as a canvas, Scott. They're like, they're still in panic mode. They're like, we've conceded one goal. David De Gea said afterwards, it was the most important thing he said. He said, is we're not like normal teams, that when you concede a goal, you go and score another five. That was his words. He went, you go and win a match. He said, we concede a goal and then we panic. That's truth. That's real truth because we've seen that for a long time. Sorry, just to pick up on something else you said there. You said about playing out for the back, something new. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's team, when they came second, played out from the back really well. It's the same players. We've not seen, these are not new players. This is Harry Maguire and co. They played out from the back. They didn't lose the ball in, in a percentage of about 97% of the time. They were second best defence in the league. So what's going on? So I think this is a lot more to do with with atmospheres, perhaps. Atmospheres. It's about caring about your fellow professional next to you. Is he your mate or is he just a professional that, that you don't really care about? Are you going to kind of be in the trenches with this person? And I think that's it. When David De Gea passes that ball to Christian Eriksen, he just thinks, well, Christian will sort it out. He'll pass it to someone else and that'll be all right. No, it doesn't work like that. Football is is a game of creating a web together and Man United are just completely fragmented so I think this is what will shock Ten Hag and we talk about naivety this is why I'm saying I think he might be the naive one because you can give players tactics but you can't make them run it's like leading a horse to water in it but you can't make it drink so I look at these players they're better than what we see but they're not because they're losing 4-0 at Brentford and you have to go by the results so the result tells you that's probably time to move a ton of these players out. Keep saying it, but I think that's exactly where you are. You were there last year. Ralph Rannick told you the truth. Ralph was telling absolute truth to power and saying, you've got to make that change. And Man United went, we'll pay you off, Ralph, because we've got another guy now. Thanks a lot. Then bye. And that was that. Yeah. Uh, my, my question follow-up, I guess, is are United capable of offloading five, six, seven players in three weeks, given they haven't been able to sell that many players in about five years. No, we're saying what they should do. We're not saying what they will do. They won't do that because they're they're idiots. That's the truth. They, you know, they don't look at it like that. Like like you would fix a business, you would do that. You would move these people out and bring new people in. But Man United don't do that. Look at it this way, yeah. The player they could probably sell at the moment in terms of market value is James Garner. So they're going to sell James Garner. But really, another football club would keep that player because they could develop him. But that's the only asset they've got to sell because they can't even sell Cristiano Ronaldo for 20 million. So this is the problem, is that United are now scratching around, going, we need to raise funds because that's a normal thing. New manager comes in, you get rid of a load of players, you raise funds, you reinvest that money. That's a normal thing. 
Man United can't get rid of these players. Only players they can get rid of are the ones that have had expiring contracts. So that means you're not really holding any money back, are you? You're not creating uh, a new set of finances for you to go and spend it on. James Garner, his 15 to 20 million valuation is probably the extra money that they're going to have to offer Frankie de Jong so he can get out of Barcelona, out of that contract. Now, that stinks. That's a bad way of doing business. But this is where United have placed themselves. It's their fault. And they're now going to have to fix this because if you go into the season without making signings, there's every chance you come mid-table this year. This is a mid-table squad and it might even be worse than that. Could be. I've joked about possible relegation. United are bottom of the Premier League after all. And I'm not the only uh, United fan who has probably made that joke either. How much am I joking? I don't know. Uh, (laughs) You know, uh, you make a good point there, Rob. I mean, about the lack of ability to offload these players. You can look mm. at their wages. They're one of the highest paying clubs in the world in terms of, uh, you know, uh, high earning players. No club is going to want to take... And Chelsea are finding the same problem with their own players. Like, yeah. it's, it's just because United have offered inflated wages for so long that clubs will not take them on. Like, obviously, Premier League clubs are so much richer generally than clubs in other countries mm-hmm. that... United are going to be lugged with these players. And ultimately, I think that's one of the things that has to change as well, but it's not going to. And the vast majority of players, even when you move them on because you don't want them, what they want is a pay rise. So if you're already paying them big money, but you're trying to move them out of the football club, you know, like take a Jesse Lingard situation. You know, Jesse uh, got had a good contract at Man United, but was looking for a bigger contract elsewhere. And that's why that ended. But that applies to every player. So Cristiano Ronaldo, one of the big issues with Cristiano is that he had his 25% of his wages taken away and then suddenly spat his damning out the pram and was like, I'm going. Now, that could be a football decision. People might debate that to the blue in the face, but money talks. So United have got all these players on big contracts, but how do you move that contract? How do you sell it to the next club and say, take that player on and give them a big signing on fee when they've been failing for us for two years? How do you tell someone to take Scott McTominay off your hands? How do you tell someone to take Fred off your hands? You can't do that. How do you tell someone that DeLoe is a good right back? Because people watch the telly and watch these players. They understand. So this is why I think this is where United are in this predicament, that a lot of these players that you want out from the top to the bottom, how do you shift them? Because you've got to convince other clubs that these players are going to be worthy of their squads and a pay rise. Just a quick one before we move on to incomings and Ronaldo, etc. David De Gea, what do they do? Okay, so with David De Gea, and this was my assessment for the last six to eight months, I don't believe in Dean Henderson. I think Dean Henderson's a good goalkeeper. I think he has deficiencies. I think he's a bit of a cocky one, and he doesn't always help himself, and he does make some errors. David De Gea, I think this year... I felt working with Ten Hag would be able to control that situation, the passing out from the back, and be able to do some of that stuff, even though some of the stats don't support that. I understand that a lot of United fans want him gone. I think already in two games, what we're seeing, that is if the rest of the team in front of him is dysfunctional, David De Gea is going to play that ball to Christian Eriksen nine times out of ten all season long. So what do you do? I think now you have to go and buy a goalkeeper. You, You haven't got options. You can't even say, if Dean Henderson was sat on our bench... You would probably drop David De Gea for the next game, wouldn't you? And you'd play Dean Henderson because that's your option. So if you haven't got a goalkeeper for that, like, let's be honest, no offence to Tom Heaton. You know, he's, he's, a bet, he's better on the deck than David, but 
that's not going to happen. He's not going to get dropped. I think uh, Eric did say after the game, you know, David Hayes, a world-class goalkeeper. It was kind of like the words. And it was like, well, is he? But you've got to go and buy someone now. And I would love to see Man United go out and buy Robert Sanchez or Saar from Wolves or someone like that who can play out from the back and make saves and do everything that a modern goalkeeper is supposed to do. David De Gea, I think, will cost Man United points. And if you have to stick with him, can you sell David De Gea now? Who's going to take that contract? 350 grand a week, 400 grand? No one. So you can't sell David De Gea. He's going to have to either sit on your bench and play a new goalkeeper, or he's going to have to start, Scott. Let's see. United have a lot of contracts expiring at the end of this season. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's actually a lot more than I thought. Marcus Rashford, club option for one year. Luke Shaw, same option. Ronaldo, same option. Fred, same option. Dallo, out of contract in a year. David De Gea, out of contract in a year. Mm-hmm. Phil Jones, option for a further year. I wonder if he'll trigger that. Tom Heaton, there's a lot of them. Uh, so if United are looking at clearing out, they'll take some hits on, you know, a Ultimately, I think Rashford and Luke Shaw's contracts will get extended. Uh, but there is an opportunity at, at the end of this season to make that clear out if they want to. But I, I mean, somebody like Brighton have already sold, you know, Bissouma and uh, remind me of uh, Cucciarella uh, mm. for 80 odd million. Why would they need to sell anyone else? Why would they need to sell Robert Sanchez? Why would they need to sell Moises Caicedo already and ruin their own plans when they've already paid off? They've earned enough money to pay off this stadium and they still look as good a team as they did last season. You know, uh, it's <laughs> it's not going to be an easy fix. It's definitely not an easy fix. But if you're Manchester United, you have to go and be aggressive in the marketplace so you have to go and sell yourself to these players. So let's let's take a Robert Sanchez, yeah? Robert Sanchez is, is, is the goalkeeper at Brighton. There is a ceiling for him at Brighton. He's probably already reached that ceiling in the time that he's been there in the short period. Like he's, he's someone who's been developed through their system. He's come through. He's done well. He's in the Spain squad ahead of De Gea. Yeah, so for him, it's either stay at Brighton, come 12th and be happy with that. Or do you make the next step? And what comes with the next step, Scott? a bigger wage so players do think like this so you have to go out there and make yourself attractive as Manchester United instead what Man United have done is have spent like the whole summer on Frankie de Jong a player who doesn't really want to come but will come if you get it right if you get the money right if you get the finances right you can sort all that things and people say yeah well okay Frankie de Jong's that quality player that you need what we're seeing is that you need to build from the bottom up, don't you? So if you want Robert Sanchez, you've got to go to Brighton, bang on their door and say, you're Brighton, we're Man United, and we're coming for that player and we're going to take him from you. That's what United used to do, Scott. United used to do that. Turn up and do it all quickly and say, we're Man United and you're not. And that's a big thing for players. Players still look at this badge And it means something, even if they don't support United, they look at it as a step up into the stratosphere of football. Yeah, so Robert Sanchez, you say that. David De Gea is on his way out. You're coming to the football club. And we're going to buy you for 65 million. And we're going to pay you 200 grand a week. Robert Sanchez is going to stay at Brighton for that. Like, say, oh, no, I'll I'll stay on my 50 grand a week. It's not going to happen. So you have to go and be aggressive, Scott. And this is the thing. And Man United are not. They're very passive. And we've said it's good that they've taken their time on targets. 
But come on, 18 days in a window, whatever left, 19 days. You've been too passive now because you're losing football matches. It's actually impacted on your new manager's chances of staying in a job already. So you've got to go out and buy players. They're not going to buy a goalkeeper, Scott. They're not because it's not on the agenda. They will stick with De Gea, but it will mean that you might buy a backup. They might buy a backup. They might buy a backup, but like again, what 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 is your backup? Like you could go and get a Romero or someone like that. You can get your backup, but you probably wouldn't want to play them. So you know you've got to go and buy a de facto number one who could be on a one for years to come while you phase De Gea in and out. I'd let De Gea go for free at the end of the season, and that's the way I would do it. But Man United are thinking in terms of finances. So they don't want to lose that contract. You know, they don't want to do it that way because it doesn't make sense. Paul Pogba's just walked out the door. He's your biggest commercial asset at the football club with Ronaldo. He's gone for nothing again. That's just bad business. Bad business. So letting people go for free is bad business. But at the same time, you've put yourself in that position where you can't get rid of players. Phil Jones is the least of our problems. Yeah, Phil Jones can stay at Man United forever. It's everyone else. It's the players that are supposedly good that play every week that don't deserve to be in this team. Let's move on. Uh, do you want to do Ronaldo first and get all of the in, internal stuff out Why of the way? Not? Or should we look at transfers? Let's do uh, Ronaldo first and get it out of the way. All right. So well, we're going to talk Mateus Cunha, but I think uh, whichever way around we do this uh, is fine. Cristiano Ronaldo is reportedly upsetting the camp. He now eats alone at lunch. Uh, he is uh, the, the narrative has changed. Uh, obviously, we said earlier, you said in the, earlier in the show, Rob, that Ten Hag has probably wanted him out for the entire time, even though he's been saying publicly, yeah, yes, I want to work with him. Uh, but now they have seen, and according this is according to sources close to United, that uh, Ronaldo, or the, the club are changing their mind on Ronaldo. The only problem is that he doesn't have a place to go. Uh, eating alone at lunch, like we say, upsetting the camp. The feeling on the preseason tour was, oh yeah, everything's rosy now. Ronaldo's back, and he's upset the the apple cart again. I mean, really? Like, I I understand it in a sense, but are these players not that's that's very soft uh, to be upset yeah. like that. Uh, but it it seems like now that everything is aligning to push Ronaldo out before the window closes. There is still interest from Atletico Madrid. Uh, how will this one turn out? And do you see this a real a real possibility of him leaving? Because I think there's a line in Simon Stone's BBC report today that there's a feeling within the club that things will not improve on the pitch if Ronaldo stays. And if he does, even if, even if, he, if he does go uh, and there's no replacement, the feeling is that the players will improve anyway because of the uplifting team spirit. Uh, what happens here? What happens is you cancel his contract. That's it. Cancel his contract. Come to that agreement. He wants to leave. So cancel his contract doesn't have any financial penalties on you because he wants to go. And you have a big hug, shake hands and let him go. And that's the right way to fix this. That was the right way to fix this 12, 13, 14 weeks ago. And it's the right way to fix it now. But what Man United done again, they've treaded water. They've tried to talk the talk, but they can't walk the walk. I think when you look at Cristiano, and I think it's worth looking at the timeline here to kind of tie this all up. When Eric Ten Hag got the job, I think a lot of us journalists and analysts and, you know, whatnot, were pleased with it. We're saying, here's a, here's a guy who can coach, who's got tactics who's a winner because he's been winning at Ajax. But there's a few problems here 
because Cristiano Ronaldo doesn't fit what he wants to do. So there's no chance his manager will want want this player. And that was actually the feedback we got from sources in Holland was that this is not really Manchester United's issues are are endemic. So Ten Hag will want change. But what did Ten Hag do? He does what every good manager does, comes out and just says he loves everyone at the start. You know, I love that player. I can't work to, can't wait to work with him. And we get to pre-season and we've got coming up, we will have new players, blah, 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 blah. Cristiano had a conversation with Eric Ten Hag in the early weeks. And Eric Ten Hag told him what he told other players. And that is, I'm here to win. I'm here to implement my style of football and players need to do as, as they're told. Then Cristiano got his pay cut. Yeah, because that triggered in on that uh, July the 1st when all the contracts change. And then Cristiano kicked off. So Cristiano then said, I don't want to be at this football club playing this brand of football earning less money outside the Champions League. And this is where we are today. So when that happened, Man United should have just gone, yeah, do you know what? You're right, Cristiano. Off you go. And we then got 15 weeks to find a new striker. That's not what they did. Cristiano pretended or whatever you want to call it, didn't turn up for training. We're all going, oh, we can't say that for sure. Well, he didn't turn up. He was training at home. He could have got on a plane because he's got a private jet and got to United's training camp at some point, And he just didn't. Not once. He turns up at Carrington. He goes and does his work. The players come back from the tour, Scott, and they're all miserable because it's the same thing as last year. So this is the problem with Cristiano, is that he is an individual, and we hear this, he's not a disruptive person. He goes and does his work, he'll be quiet, he'll get on with it. But my God, the greatest player of all time is a disruptive force. Because they can smell it. We can watch it on a football pitch and see it, can't we? We can see the body language. We can see how players react to him, how he reacts to players. They're like a bunch of statues, and it comes from last season. So with Cristiano now, you've got to get rid of him. Cancel his contract. Let him go, go and buy someone else. Because this project needs to have a kickstart, doesn't it now? And it will kickstart by moving out some of the top players and some of the top earners. Buy someone else. Hmm. Matthias Cunha is the latest name who has been uh, on United's radar. This week, we've had Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. We've had Mm -hmm. Mauro Icardi. We've had a number of others. Uh, to add to the Adrian Rabio interest as well. Obviously, he's a midfielder. Obviously, United still want Frankie de Jong as well. But talking up front, Jamie Vardy as well. Uh, Night Min reported <laughs> that. We reported that about three weeks ago. At it's a good Min. thing they're going for young signings, isn't it? Yes, it very much is. But like, as much as I, uh, you know, Icardi, Aubameyang, Jamie Vardy, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put Vardy in this category really. But the 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 former two have records of upsetting their old clubs. And do you really want to add that kind of reputation to this squad? And just, you're trying to get rid of that in Ronaldo. Why would you bring another person like that in who's not as good? Uh, it doesn't make any sense to me. But Mateus Cunha is the, is the latest one. And as much as I think it's ridiculous that United would consider paying 40 odd million quid, 50 odd million quid for this player, at least on the plus side, he is... Uh, flexible in terms of what positions he can play in he's good technically uh and he will at least offer another option he's 23 as well i think so at least it's a signing for the future in terms of his ceiling i don't really know how high it can go uh but at least it's a it's a different option atletico madrid signed him for 22 million ish last year 
his value is somehow inflated to the point where United are going to pay essentially double that if they go and get him. But there is interest there. Uh, what do you make of this link? It's credible. And I think with Cunha and you know the position with Manchester United in terms of strikers is that, again, if you'd gone for Cunha 14, 15 weeks ago, you would have probably still got him but at a much more agreeable price and at a cheaper wage because you go and do that business in private. You know, you go talk to the club, you talk to the player. Now, what we understand with Cunha is that he's being shopped by his agents. This is where the initial link comes from. And what's happened with Man United in the last week or two is that every agent in the world is banging on their door. Every agent are going, let's do business. you got a problem. I've got a player. We can do something, can't we? And I think this is where Man United are. And that means it's very chaotic and there's an incredible amount of chaos around every target. Even look with Rabiot, you know, Rabiot is done. Rabiot was done last week and they still can't get Rabiot done. So it's like, this is the problem with Man United is that you're running out of time. And because you're running out of time, you're stuck. You're stuck in the mud. Uh, I think with Cunha, I will say with transfers, every player doesn't need to be world-class, right? Every player you buy doesn't need to be the top ceiling of ceiling of ceilings. That should be the aim. But when you're working through your squad and working through your problems, you've got to find talent that helps you, that helps you win. And Cunha, I think, would help Man United win. I think he's a, I think he's a good player. Uh, as you said, 23, uh, not a particularly good passer of the ball, but a good dribbler, really good at penetration, really will push high up the pitch, will do as he's told. Wouldn't that be nice? Underrated quality, that. We'll, be, we'll, 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 we'll go, it will we'll run the centre channel or the left channel and Ten Hag can stand in the technical area and go, I want you to run that player. And the player won't go, will I? So you're paying 45 million just to get a player that will do what you're told. So that's mad, isn't it? But that's where Man United are. You need to bring players that are willing. So he would be a willing kind of player. I think he, I think the Premier League would suit him. It's kind of a mixture, I think, between almost a little bit. He's a bit Anthony Martial in some of the stuff that he does. So would you just stick with Anthony Martial maybe? Get him fit and play him and put that money elsewhere. But you're going to have to pay 42, 43, 44 million at the very least to make Atletico Madrid even talk uh, just on the Ronaldo's built on that with Atletico you know there's the link there again with him because obviously with Diego Simeone one thing or another Atletico Madrid fans do not want Ronaldo at their club they do not want it and they will burn their club down rather than have Ronaldo there so that's a door closed for them because that football club is run by its fans and its fans will just be vocal and it won't happen but Cunha good player but he's not first choice at Atletico Madrid and there probably is a reason for that so can he be first choice in the Premier League I don't know. I think he would just be part of the squad system. Yeah, I agree. Uh, looking at his league record last season, uh, started eight games in the league, substituted yeah. on in 21, scored six goals. I think it was around six or seven assists as well. Maybe, yeah, something like that. Six or seven assists in the league. Mm-hmm. So they're not buying a prolific forward, but I think it's the profile of the player really that would appeal. And he'd probably be, you know given his age and his energy and this kind of stuff and the fact that he can take instruction, an alternative to Anthony Martial. So if Anthony Martial did go down injured, at least Cunha could play. He could come on, you know, for Martial in certain matches. He, could, he can play uh, left as well. And he, and he can play all across the front. Mm. So, yeah. uh, it's not... 50 million for a sub. 50 million. This is the Man United's problems, isn't it? Is that most squads, like, look at Liverpool. We've got Liverpool coming up. We'll do more on Friday about Liverpool in the forthcoming uh, derby match. 
Liverpool are having problems at the moment. They're playing players they don't want to play because they've got injuries. But Scott, you look at some of those players that are coming into the team, they're not £50 million subs because most clubs don't do that. You've got to bring in a kid, someone who's from your lower rank, someone who, who might be on 10 grand a week. You know, that's what that's what football is, is that you have that structure. Man United don't have that. So you're buying players like, can you imagine if you buy Cunha and he plays eight games this year and you spent 50 odd million on him? It's negligence again, isn't it? So I, I, a lot of this I don't understand, but I do understand it because you need to make changes. And I think this is where Ten Hag is now. Ten Hag just needs some players that will actually listen to him. Because this lot are not listening. They're, they're, they're definitely not. You saw in that Brentford game, there, there's a big disconnect between their ability and what they're actually putting out there. United need to be the club that pick... If they want this player, they need to be the club that pick this player up before he signs for Atletico Madrid of for course. 22 million from Hertha Berlin. Yeah. I, I'd look at, like, a comparable here for me, Roberto Firmino at Liverpool. Absolutely. Perhaps. Hoffenheim, 30-odd yeah. million. Great. I know he's not their first choice anymore. But he was fundamental to their team as a forward and often criticised for not scoring enough goals. But what he brought to the team was uh, undeniable as Liverpool won trophies. Uh, But United are going for him when he's at a big club already who are going to demand twice the money they paid for him a year ago when he's been started six games in the league. It's, it's negligence, yeah. like you say, Rob. It's negligence, and it shows that we all know where United are with their scouting department. We know that they kind of completely cleared it out. But you did have 10 years to fix that problem. Like, this is not a new thing now. And yes, you are going with Eric Ten Hag's targets, per se, but now you're stuck. You're just trying to get anyone, trying to get anyone that will improve the squad. But like you just said there about Firmino, and it's the old adage about Liverpool, about how they built that built that championship winning team, a team that also won the the, the, the Champions League. What did they do, Scott? They went and raided Southampton. They took like seven players off Southampton and people laughed at them and said, ha look at you turning into Southampton. Well, those players, they came in, they did their jobs, they got recycled, they, got, they left. They did a job for them. The Lalanas of this world did a job. That's how you make that work. They still paid pretty good, big money to Southampton for some of these players. But then the flip side of it is you bought Salah, who's your key player for Roma, for an affordable price. You bought Mane from Southampton for an affordable price. You bought Firmino from Hoffenheim for an affordable price. Man United don't seem to get that, that there are players out there that you can go and get if you keep your gob shut, do the deal and bring them into the club. What they do is they get Murto now on a plane and Murto flies all the way to Turin or somewhere like that. Yeah, goes there, gets off his plane, and he now gets pictured doing it. And I don't like that because it's it's just a bad image, isn't it? That you've got your mat, you've got your big guy there being photographed and smiling and shaking hands at airports. Don't do that because you're telling the world what you're doing. Keep your mouth shut and sign place, sign Rabio, but don't tell anyone. Yeah, don't go and, and, and turn up. Oh, in no, I, I needed the time to digest this, Rob. Yeah, so, so, <laughs> so, 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 like, you know, you want Frankie de Jong, great. You need to negotiate with Barcelona, great. You need to speak to Frankie de Jong, great. Do not turn up in Catalonia, sit in a cafe and wave at photographers. You're an idiot. What are you doing? No one does that in football. You don't see anyone from Liverpool turn up or anyone from Man City as a delegation. You just hear that it's happened. That's the way it works. And in the press, we get told. So we get told that that's what happened yesterday. But we're seeing that these people at Man United are turning up. What are they doing it for, Scott? What are they? Are they trying to create an image that isn't real? 
So I think that's more of it is that, look, we're doing business people. And that's why, you know, John Murto's in Turin trying to do this. Yeah, we know you're there to talk to Rabio's mum. We know that you don't need to be so public about those things. Just get the deal done. You know, and when you've got the deal done, play the play and put them in the team. So, you know, we've got Malisha, Malashia, we'll talk about a little bit there. But you said just a minute ago about um, identifying talent. You know, Moses Casado, again, who played very well, well for Brighton the other day, Man United could have signed him before. On the table, scouting network, identified him. Dirt cheap, young player, loads of upside. Let him go to Brighton. Like, you could and have now- bought him. And loaned him to Brighton. You could have bought him for four million and loaned him to Brighton. And Brighton would have been all right with that. Brighton would have gone, yeah, we'll take the player for a year or two. We'll do what Conor Gallagher did with Chelsea, uh, with Palace last year. People want to develop the talent. I get that. But now you could bring back Moses Casado for nothing. But how much are you going to pay for him, Scott? Mm-hmm. Yeah, crazy stuff. Uh, obviously, these links were with Casado have come out over the last few days. Uh, too difficult a deal. It was branded at four or five million quid uh, because of agent fees and all that kind of stuff. Can you imagine how difficult it will be to convince Brighton, who've already sold 80 million quid's worth of talent this summer already, to part with the replacement for a player that they've already sold? It's, it's just, it's, it's mental. It's, it's crazy stuff for me. Brighton rate him higher than Basuma, and Basuma went for 25 million, and I thought 25 million was cheap. I was like, wow, for that kind of player... You know, there were, we know there were problems off the pitch, but obviously Tottenham were willing to mitigate that and that all worked out fine for them. They paid 25 million for a player now who's in their squad. If Man United want Casado, it's going to be way above 25 million. He's not worth it. So this is where you're now stuck in this position. A 20-year-old from Ecuador, is he your answer to your midfield? Probably not. But do you need someone like that in your squad? Absolutely. And now you're going to have to pay for it when you could have got him for 4 million. Julian Alvarez, another example. I know we spoke about him uh, on this podcast. And I know, times. it makes me sad, the whole Julian Alvarez thing. It makes me sad because you, they had him. You, they had him. They, did, they, they spoke to River Plate. They had that sorted and they let him go to Man City because they thought he wasn't ready. So, you know. Not ready Ronaldo's to join ready. the bottom club in the Premier League. I'm sure you've... <laughs> He's not playing for the club at the top of the Premier League. Yeah. Uh Yes. Wonderful. Uh, I hope these podcasts get easier and more positive. <laughs> Sorry, like just just for if you're listening and you've come to the Promise Land podcast over the last year or so for you know a relatively relaxed, uh, toned back perspective, it's very difficult at the moment. Let's let's be real. United are bottom of the league and playing worse than they ever have before, and I don't see many ways out. <laughs> if, if, can you imagine how difficult it is for fans and for us and whatnot? Imagine how hard it is at that club today. Imagine how hard it is in Carrington today, yeah, for those players. So the players, they are the problem, but they're not all the problem. It's not everyone, but then it's really hard to perform, isn't it? When you're looking around your training pitch and there's this mad dysfunction, this mad kind of depression fallen over Manchester United that you can't fix. So you can only fix it by radicalism. You've got to find a radical way to fix these problems. But can you imagine going to work today at Carrington? You just, it, it, it must be the most miserable place. You know, you just said there, Scott, as well, about some um, criticism of Ten Hag making the players run and all. Well, what's he supposed to do? You know, they're not running. So you go into training, you say run. Here's <laughs> what you do. Not ball work, run, because you didn't run in the last game. We've done ball work for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks, but you can't pass the ball. So you're going to run today. So it's not a school teacher vibe. It's not like he's not a PE teacher. 
But there's a problem with running in this team, and it's mainly because they can't be bothered to run. So you're going to have to make them run in training. I didn't mind that personally. I thought I'm happy with it. I want my manager to do that. I want the manager to have that balance of like, you know, you we're going to work on ball work, but you know what? If the issue isn't ball work and the issue's running, you're going to have to run. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer said it at the time when he came to the club, he went, the players are not fit enough, they're going to have to run more. And they ran for 20 games, played really well, and then they stopped running again. And he had to kind of bring new players in. Ralph Ranick is a coach that demands running from his players. They ran for 20 minutes against Crystal Palace. It was just 20 minutes, and then they didn't run again. They couldn't be bothered. They came, you know, they came outside the top four. Man, I could have walked top four last year if they'd run, but they didn't. This year, you're bottom of the league with a brand new manager that demands that you run. If you're not running on a football pitch, Scott, Ten Hag better be making them run on a training pitch. So I like that. I'm glad he pulled them all in. And and there should be more punishment. I did see, actually, before the game. I don't know if you saw it as well. Did you watch any of the warm-up before at Brentford? Did you see any of the warm-up? I did. I, I was I was chatting. I okay, so so I was watching the warm up. I was watching the warm up for the first game of the season, and he and there was the same principle that when you gave the ball away in the warm up drill, you did press ups, and it was quite interesting to watch because you could see it, it was like players give the ball away, and they were like, <sighs> and they're doing the press ups, and this is a discipline you have to implement on these players because it's like they're children. You have to literally say to them, if you give the ball away. There are those fundamental punishments here, you know, or you won't play or I'll sell you. So this is all on the table. I think Man United's players have had it way too easy for way too long. And that's because they've got an ownership that has created this vibe at this football club. It's all too easy. It's all just about selling shirts. It's not actually about the football. Yeah, obviously, we're not going to talk about the Glazers and the ownership today. It's not in the agenda for us, but everybody knows if you're a United fan, you know how deep it's this coming. runs and you know what you, we will touch on it in another day. But in the meantime, uh, another good thread from uh, at Swiss Ramble, I think this morning. I yeah, really good. It. Uh, if you, or even if you're not a United fan uh, and you're wondering why people are complaining and why there's protests and why there's threats of empty Old Trafford next week and, and this kind of business, just look at this thread. It, it's all in the numbers you can see it in the lack of urgency. You can see it in the fact that they're putting people in the wrong places to address the problems that they themselves have created. Yeah, uh, And it's resulting in United being bottom of the league. Go, go check out that thread from Swiss Ramble. Maybe we put it in the description of this video or something like that. Um, but yeah, uh, we obviously we're an audio podcast as well. We'll see what we can do. Uh, but yes, my last note, Rob, is heads have to roll. <laughs> uh you know, uh, and I'm going to tie in here the comments from uh, Terrell Malasia mm-hmm. when asked about why he wasn't playing. He said, you have to ask the trainer about that. It's something between me and the trainer. We discuss that together. I'm fit. I don't come here to sit on the bench. I always want to play, of course, when my time comes. I will definitely be there. I was surprised, actually, that he wasn't picked ahead of Luke Shaw after the first game. I would also be surprised if he was drafted in ahead of the Liverpool game. For some reason, you know, and just given uh, what game it is, uh, you know, Luke Shaw's been awful, though. Like, he's, he's just one of many, many players who has not played well uh, for the duration of this awful spell that United have had. Uh, I would like to see Malasia be probably first choice in the next few weeks uh, because at least he does have. He was bought by, because of his profile for Ten Hag, he was a relatively cheap signing. There's probably plenty of upside with him. 
He can carry ball. He can come inside and actually play the ball. Uh, you know, we'll we'll see what he is. But we've seen enough of Luke Shaw now <laughs> to know that he should not be a bona fide starter. But wider point, Rob. How many players are we talking about? Over a period of time now, and this is the thing, 20, 20 odd days of the window remaining, you know, a, a real football club, a proper football club would move the players out that they had to and bring them in. But of course, we've just discussed for the best part of an hour why that's a problem, why it's not happening. Luke Shaw, just specifically there, Luke Shaw always takes time at the start of the season to get up to his best. He's just, don't, he's just a slow starter, always has been, always will be. But when you're looking at who deserves to start, that's a kind of different question, isn't it? Because it's about who, not who deserves to start, but who's going to help you win. That's the question. And when you look at these players from back to front, De Gea's not helping you win. Bruno Fernandes isn't helping you win. Ronaldo's not helping you win. Luke Shaw isn't helping you win. Marcus Rashford isn't helping you win. Harry Maguire isn't helping you win. All of those players I just mentioned should be dropped. Drop them, put them on the bench and have the highest paid bench in the world and play players that will take that opportunity, whether they're young or old, and they'll go for it because they believe in that badge. Yeah, they believe in it. And this is why I always talk about playing kids. It's not playing kids because it's the solution and that's the way, but it's the philosophy. It's the it's telling your football club you will play if you work hard, but if you don't work hard, you just will not play. If you don't help us win, you will not play. And that's where United are now. You know, when we looked at this shirt and we talked about it at the start and Eric Cantona, that what, what was absolutely the principle of that team Scott was hard work. Yeah. Everyone worked hard from back to front and their desire, whether they lost games or not, could never be questioned. This Man United team, even when they win, you question their desire in the other way. You go, well, did they really even want to win? You know, were they good enough today? They weren't very good, but they won one nil. Oh, that's okay. It's not really okay, is it? So I look at that. I look at these senior players and there's got to be a way of getting this lot out of the football club. I didn't mention McFred there as well. McFred, part of that issue they're senior players now they can't pass a ball they they look like they've never played with each other even though they've played with each other non-stop for years now where does it where does it end and it ends here ends with failure complete failure and when you have that failure you've got to get rid and you've got to clear the decks and that's what i would prefer to see at man united this year if you're going to be in a relegation battle or a mid-table kind of malaise make changes at least you know, do what Arsenal did a year ago. They were in that relegation zone for a long period of time, but they believed in their projects. They believed in their kids. And it's worked out pretty well for them. A year later, they made the right signings. They got rid of some of the big earners and they're now a viable football club for the top four. That could be that quick for Man United a year. But I'll tell you what, it's not going to be a week. It's not going to be 20 days at the end of this window. United are suddenly going to be good. You've got to now integrate new signings, whether they are the right signings or not. Yeah, uh, you know, we'll talk about the Liverpool game uh, on Friday's show. <clears throat> Obviously, that game is taking place next Monday night. So we'll have next Tuesday's show right off the back of that Liverpool game. Uh, if they lose 5-7-0 against the relegation candidate, I suppose that makes it even worse, at least when Liverpool are pretty good and you can take a humbling from them. <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about, Rob. But the oh, sad thing is, though, Scott, the sad thing is, is that even if Man United go and beat Liverpool in any way, shape or form... Changes nothing. Changes nothing. And that's the problem. And we all do it on the show. We'll go, we're top, we're above Liverpool. Isn't that funny? You know, our team's terrible and you're like the best team in the world and you've got Salah and we've got no one, you know, and we're above you in the league. 
it doesn't matter, does it? Because you've got to look within. You've got to keep looking within about how you fix stuff. And I think this is where it all, all kind of begins and ends, is that you've got to look at what you're doing. And this football club is not doing what normal football clubs do. And that is the problem. Let's hope they have a an epiphany or a change of process before Friday's show and they manage to sign six players. It's not going to happen, is it, Rob? We'll probably no. end up with Adrian Rabiot. That private Mario jet's Cardi. going to be going backwards and forwards, though, across the skies because they're going to be trying to get anyone they can. And I think that's the little side of us now. It's so desperate. And unfortunately, a lot of people did say this to us, didn't they? They went, oh, United are going to get desperate. And we kind of said, no, patience is, is key here. But now here we are at the end of the window, Man United bottom of the league, and they're playing Liverpool. Yeah, uh, we've been going 55 and a half minutes on uh, producer Harry Simeon's birthday. I'm not sure whether this has been nice for you, Harry, or not. Happy uh, birthday, Harry. <laughs> to have to listen to 55 minutes of ranting uh, calmly on Manchester United and their woes. Uh, but we'll be back on Friday. You can su- subscribe to our show wherever you get your pods on Apple, Google, Spotify, and the likes. And watch us on YouTube twice a week as well on Tuesdays and Fridays. So head over to the channel, hit the like button, subscribe, leave a comment, join the community as well. And the link should be in the description of this episode if you're listening on an audio platform. And follow us on Twitter, get in touch with us, at underscore Scott Saunders, at underscore Rob underscore B, and at Promise and MU for the show as well. It's bad at the moment. Uh, so take this time to rest up and take a break from Man United on a football pitch and just have to deal with uh, the car crash that is Man United off the pitch. We'll be digesting whatever happens in the week and we're back on Friday to look ahead to the Liverpool game and any transfers that have happened in between. Thanks very much, everyone. See you soon. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc